Hello, I'm Anthony Sana. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And I'm Scott Dempsey. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Episode 58, The Carnivore Diet with Scott Dempsey. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fusion Health Radio. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with uh, Dr. Michael Smith. Michael? Hello. And uh, we've got a guest. Scott, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, we are doing something a little bit different than we normally do with this podcast. Uh, dear listener, if you're uh, here as a regular um, attendee, you'll notice that uh, we've got an additional voice here. And that's kind of a piggyback to what it is we did uh, with our last episode, uh, where we were talking about uh, the ketogenic diet and where Michael got all kinds of geeked out about that sort of thing. Do you want to give us so a... So fun. Do you, do you even want to try to do a bit of a recap on that? Um, the long and short of it is your body stores sugar or glucose as glycogen. Uh, there's some hormones involved with that, insulin and uh, glucagon. And as long as that balance is balanced, you know, your, your, your metabolism and health would be balanced. But if you overload yourself with uh, constant, you know, carbohydrates, the machinery of that becomes like a, like an erosive thing going down a hill. You know, if you pour water down a hill, it's going to put a big, you know, creek down there. And your metabolism's like that. You keep pouring something into it, it's going to make bigger pathways, right? So when that starts to happen, people start to gain weight because excessive glucose becoming glycogen and higher insulin and glucagon basically means triglycerides equals adipose tissue or fat. So if you can get a sense of that, that's basically in a very, very, very basic way how fat is actually stored in the human body. What ketosis is about is actually turning your body's pathways around and it's a bit fiddly. But your body can use fatty acids to turn into something called acetyl-CoA, which is something your body turns carbohydrates into, to replace missing carbohydrate to run your metabolism. And at a certain threshold of that, uh, and it gets more complicated, but your body starts to run more, instead of on what we call just the basic Krebs cycle, you start running on ketone bodies like uh, acetates, acetone, and beta-hydroxybutyrate. So basically what ketosis is, is changing the, the strategy your body uses from something that's probably now a relatively, if not completely dangerous, uh, runnel of, you know, damaging water down the hill or glucose in the fat, uh, to spread out the energy mechanisms and pathways for your body so that you can reverse that pathway, but not in some erosive, drastic way. It's a fundamental strategy humans have had for well, since, since we actually, you know, probably any, uh, found ourselves threatened by the first ice age as primates, you know, oh no, now what are we going to do for food? There's no fruit. So again, we've evolved this over millions of years and in modern medical science, especially around, uh, obesity, diabetes, Alzheimer's, uh, neurological problems, reducing the profoundly dangerous corrosive insult of con chronic high insulin is step one for almost every inflammatory uh, disease in the world, especially everything neurological and obviously ob obesity and diabetes. I think that covers it. Whew. <laughs> uh, that's a bit of a geek out <laughs> right off the bat. Thanks, Michael. Um, the, the, I had coffee today. <laughs> the thing that I took away from the, the whole uh, podcast was the fact that uh, the ketogenic diet isn't just something like, you know, the South Beach diet or the uh, I'm going to eat pineapples uh, five times a day diet or some other kind of BS diet that uh, was out there. It's actually got some um, 
for lack of a better word, science behind it. A lot. Yeah, and um, uh, a lot of health value behind it. And, and on that, uh, we decided um, to bring in somebody that uh, Michael and I both know. Michael, I think you know Scott a little bit better than I do, um, just because of your relationship, perhaps. Uh, I think we were doing Qigong together about 10 years ago. Yeah, it was about 10 years ago. I was a student in his class. Um, I was studying uh, traditional Chinese medicine at the time here in uh, Nelson, and uh, and I would uh, go to his classes in the morning. And um, yeah, we actually never really talked much more than that. <laughs> uh, yeah, until I guess a couple of years ago, we started talking about uh, a couple of shared interests that we have around, um, well, entrepreneurial you know, fun things. And something that uh, we'll probably be talking about in a couple of podcasts, which uh, I haven't actually talked to Scott about yet, but I'm rebranding something I developed a few years ago uh, into what's going to be called the Somatic Mindfulness Process. So just FYI, Scott, and we're going to be changing the name of that project we haven't told anyone about yet. So a little, little <laughs> Christmas surprise there for you. <laughs> well, I think you just told a few people about that. Whoever well, that's the idea. It's like, so well, if we're going to, well, the idea basically Scott and I have been talking about is uh, having him help me um, teach some of the things that I do because I can only do so many things in a day and uh, we've gotten to know each other around that. So that's that's why we are in, in pretty regular contact. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I guess on that uh, that vein of teaching, I guess that's why you're here today, Scott. I mean, you're, um, the name of the podcast is The Carnivore Diet, a.k.a. The Ketogenic Diet. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that you're... Uh, I guess, uh, an advocate of or something of an expert in? A little bit familiar with, I guess, yeah, from a, of a trial that I've been running myself, yeah. Um, so, uh, Michael and I talked about, I guess, all the, the, the or sorry, Michael talked about the science and I sort of scratched my head and asked some questions about it, as I, as I usually do on the podcast here, but you actually have some experience with this. Mm -hmm. Do you want to give us a sort of uh, uh, background on yourself as to why you would even want to consider doing something as a ketogenic diet? Yeah, sure. Um, some years ago, I actually... Uh, was very uh, interested in the ketogenic diet. I started trying to eat those kind of meal plans. Even though I didn't do any uh, sort of testing or anything like that, I stuck to the meal plan. I understand the idea, the cycle of going into the ketos, um, ketogenic state, and uh, it really worked for me very well. And uh, earlier in my life, actually, in my early 20s, um, I, I learned a little bit about Atkins. My brother was into it. He read the book and kind of gave me the basics of it. It kind of made sense to me. And, so I was familiar with low carb, and uh, so since uh, since all these years have passed and information on the ketogenic diet and the paleo diets and things like that, um, it seemed like uh, another next step in the whole puzzle of of uh, that way of eating. And uh, so when a lot of hype of it started online just recently, not too long ago, um, I I considered this. You know what? This might be an nice, neat trial to run next. So, so I did so. And, and was there any sort of, um, uh, medically based, uh, inspiration? I mean, were you actually suffering from something that said the ketogenic diet might actually help me with this? Was there something? Uh, there wasn't any sort of medical reason. Uh, at the time, um, I was probably 40 pounds overweight, <laughs> 40 pounds heavier than I am now. Uh, I, I had just finished a, a large work stint for a couple of years, uh, working in the oil industry. And uh, I let myself get away. So I was looking to get back on track with my eating habits and finding the mechanisms that might do that best. So uh, the ketogenic diet seemed very appealing and, and very interesting in the science sense. And is that, uh, is that an approach to uh, uh, feeding yourself that was new? I mean, the whole idea of actually looking at uh, some sort of scientific way of uh, bettering your health? Well, in addition to my experience earlier with the 
the low carb Atkins sort of approach, even though I didn't have all of the information on it, um, it made a lot of sense to uh, lower those carbs even further and maybe try to enter in this ketogenic state. Those things uh, like the mental clarity seem very appealing and the energetic uh, boost from metabolizing your fat seemed seemed like the way to go. So uh, it was another experiment for me to try. Hmm. Neat. Um, Michael, I'm going to ask you a, a question there, um, just for the sake of our listener, and maybe even for myself. I've heard of the Atkins diet, and mm-hmm. I have a rough idea what it is. Do you want to give us a bit, a bit more of an ex- explanation? Uh, came out in the 70s. Uh, came out in the 70s, and um, it was basically the, and this is, I don't know if a lot of people are as nerdy as me to keep digging into backstories and stuff, but Robert Atkins actually wrote the book because his personality is kind of a polarizing personality. And he was just like all these people who keep saying you're supposed to, you know, get rid of the fat and do the carbs. And he's a scientist, he's a medical doctor. He kept looking into it going, this is just ridiculous. And because of who he is, he says, what's the actual just complete opposite of that? So he looked into it and he came up with some basic ideas and some recipes and stuff. And it is basically the, in in the Western world, kind of the original low carb, higher fat, higher protein. The problem with also him as a person and the theory behind what he was doing was in his mind, it would be a great idea to go to Pizza Hut and have a pizza, just don't eat the crust or McDonald's, don't eat the bun or, you know, processed meats were great. And, uh, I have total respect for him as a clinician, as a scientist, as, as a person who, you know, obviously wanted to make some, you know, bank selling a hell of a lot of books about a, you know, a pretty good idea. Uh, the thing that's always, I don't know, we're all patients, we're all researchers, we're all clinicians in the way that we are for ourselves or for other people. He died of kidney disease at 60 something years old, profoundly obese. Not because he was profoundly overweight all of the time in the sense of, you know, carbohydrates make triglycerides make fat, but because he had such profound water retention because he'd basically collapsed his kidney function by eating highly processed food most of the time because he was always on the go selling books and, you know, making sense. So, um, you know, his is what I would call like the, the first... I don't know, Phoenix flying out of the fire on, on this new, you know, not new, very old theory on what real food looks like. Um, he, he was just a shorter lived Phoenix because he, he ran it with his personality without really stepping back, looking at the bigger picture of human health. He was just saying, those other people are stupid. Do everything you want, except that. Right. And, and it, it kind of ran us into a bit of a weird corner because a lot of people who have tried the Atkins thing who may have food allergies, who may have compromised reactions to certain toxins in processed foods, which is everybody, but I'm trying to be nice here. Uh, He wasn't really addressing, you know, treating sick people. He was just saying, this this low-fat thing is stupid, and I'm going to say, what's the opposite? And it doesn't, that's the only thing that matters. So uh, I'm I'm a bit of a historian around people's ideas, and he's an interesting cat. Well, that was way more of an explanation than I was expecting, but thanks for that. I mean, that's awesome. Did but I mention coffee? <laughs> Sorry, I, sh- I should never have coffee. Did you know that? Did you know the history behind that, Scott? I knew a little bit. I hear things here and there, but uh, yeah. yeah, the the interesting way he uh, spent his last days on his uh, hospital bed, uh, very overweight, was a, a very uh, eye-opening <laughs> story. Yeah. Jeez, I wonder how many old Atkins diet books are still at garage sales waiting to be sold. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably a few. Um, with the diet that you do today, the ketogenic diet, carnivore diet, that's not the Atkins diet. No, just not so at all. Just so we're clear on that. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was to go to your place and look in your fridge, what would I find? Well, there is a variety of things in the fridge because I do have other family members who don't eat the way I do. Sure. But, uh, 
<laughs> I guess on my section of the fridge, you'd probably see a few packages of ground beef. And that's it. And that's basically it, unless I want to treat myself to uh, other cuts of steak or something. And uh, and then my wife, she does cook uh, chicken and pork and things like that that I do have in addition to usually my ground beef. And uh, is there anything uh, green? Uh, sort of, um, not mold. Are there any sort of vegetables or <laughs> any sort of fruits or anything else like that in the, your diet? The fridge is full, but no, my diet's not. <laughs> and... Uh, no, there's there's no no greens in my diet so far in the last uh, three months or so. Any fish? Um, yes, fish. Yes, fish. Um, yeah, I do prefer salmon. I I like to go for a good salmon steak here and there, or the fish I catch. You, you know, I, I want to ask you more about the the sort of mechanics of how you actually do all that. But my mind is just racing with this thing. It's like I would go absolutely bonkers if I opened the fridge and all I saw was just like a slab of meat, and that was all that was on the menu. <laughs> like. And, and, you know, as you're sitting here, you just seem like um, an everyday guy. You know, you don't seem, uh, you don't seem as high on caffeine as, uh, as Mike does over there. <laughs> you're, you're, not, you're not, you know, addled by your life mm-hmm. or anything like that. You seem pretty, I don't know, even keeled, I guess is the word that I'm looking for. Um, has it always been like that? Like, like, like to, to, to sort of come into this ketogenic diet, like what sort of process did it take in order for you to end up with the result that I'm looking at here today? Ah, well, um... Yeah, when I first uh, came to the carnivore diet, I was actually trying to get back into the ketogenic uh, routine. I was going to cut down my carbs again and uh, try to be a little bit more strict. I was actually in the uh, farm pharmacy looking at uh, getting the little ketone monitor and things like that and maybe maybe go strict on this way. But then I gave the carnivore diet a little bit more thought. And uh, one of the things I found with uh, my ketogenic experience was I spent a lot of mornings cutting vegetables. (laughs) And these are some vegetables that I ate a lot of that didn't necessarily make me regular, I found. There was one trouble I found with the ketogenic diet was I was eating platefuls of vegetables that I actually found was blocking me up a little bit. And so so the approach of the carnivore seemed very simple. Um, I I could get away with ground beef for a while because it was uh, very affordable. And it was just easy to make some patties and stick them on the grill and have my breakfast and then later on have my evening meal. So it seemed very, uh, it seemed like a, a good trial to run hmm. in, in, uh, instead of doing the ketogenic approach, which I was trying to get back into again. Hmm. And this, uh, um, this whole approach, I mean, you said it before that you've actually got a family to consider mm-hmm. other food in the fridge and that sort of stuff. Was there any sort of challenges that you encountered from them or any sort of, uh, I don't know, positive or negative feedback? Yeah, it was interesting. I, I thought my uh, wife would have a really hard time with it. Um, first thing I thought about eating uh, about eating all meat was the uh, cost of it. But uh, uh, in the long run, she was very impressed because she's not preparing lots of vegetables either. <laughs> she says it's easy. <laughs> she doesn't have to cut up a whole vegetables and everything. And I'm taking care of all the cooking for my own meat. So she found it really easy for, for her. And, uh, and uh, everyone else just finds it pretty normal now. At first they thought, well, that's kind of strange. But uh, no, they kind of do their own thing and, and I do mine and everyone's pretty happy. Hmm. Well, I, I guess I'm more focused on... Uh understanding the the results of of what you're doing as opposed to the actual process michael you said you want to get into like the, the sort of nuts and bolts of the whole thing do you want to offer some uh, questions around that 
Well, I, I think we're getting a sense of it, but I am just curious because um, for the first time, I would say the first time, but in, in another way uh, of all the podcasts we've done together, Anthony, I'm really, really so much more aware of what the listener is hearing because I'm not the one who's, you know, actually responsible for the content for the first time. So I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa, I really want the listeners to get a sense of the trajectory of, you know, where you started. And it doesn't have to be like a huge journal, but like mm. I ate like this for, for this many months and this is what it was like. Not not just in the sense of, you know, I didn't have headaches, but like what it was like for you. And then kind of how you got into the carnivorous thing. And the, the question Anthony asked a bit ago that I, I really hope we can find a way uh, to bring the listeners to is how, how do you deal with, you know, the fact that you cannot actually have those things. Oh, you could obviously, but you choose not to. And what's that choice point like? Because I think honestly, for me, I know that's like day to day, you know, today I had coffee, so, you know, naughty me, but it was worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, but I think that's the moment that most people are really trying to figure out when it comes to these things. The geek out science is really, really good for your left brain, but the right brain wants, you know, and and how, how, what's that like? So I'm curious if you could do like even just like, I started eating these kind of meals and this is what it was like personally and emotionally. And then I shifted to this and like you you said, you went back on carbs and how did that change you? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you deal with the, the most boring, but potentially really healthy diet on the planet? (laughs) Well, I can give it a little bit more of a history background because I did the ketogenic for a while. And then, uh, the last past year before doing carnivore, I was actually doing one meal a day. And, uh, oh, was, that's right. Yeah. I was doing one meal a day and, uh, it was pretty much anything I chose, even though it, it was mostly uh, like a ketogenic approach. But so what was it like for you when you were actually on the ketogenic diet again, on that personal level of like, you know, this many months of eating this way, how did you feel better, different, weird, up, down, left, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so originally uh, I started the ketogenic diet. I, I tried that for about, uh, three good solid months and, uh, it was a great experience. I, I felt that mental clarity and a little boost of energy. Uh, the best thing for me, which was the uh, thing, like the keeper for me to, to adopt this, was uh, some inflammation issues I had. I, uh, I suffered from uh, piriformis syndrome where the sciatica nerve gets pinched off, and uh, that greatly was improved. Um, I, I, prior to that, I spent my evenings after work rolling on baseballs and foam rollers and stretching things out. I even built myself uh, a vibration platform just to soothe the uh, the ache I had in my hip. And uh, But with the ketogenic approach, a lot of that inflammation died way back. And uh, and then soon after that, I, I sort of played around with the ketogenic approach and a little bit more of the paleo side without even uh, been able to I wasn't using a ketone monitor or anything like that. So I was just monitoring how I felt. Um, um, so what a plate of food look like? Uh, yeah, for, for me, um, I st- stuck to a lot of brassicas. <laughs> uh, filled my plate with Brussels sprouts and broccoli, lots of cabbage and uh, um, leafy green vegetables, uh, a lot of spinach and uh, did a lot of bok choy and... Uh, uh, kale occasionally, and uh, and that was always coated with lots of butter, <laughs> or MCT oil, or refined triple distilled C8 uh, MCT oil, and uh, oh, and then and then a you know small cut of meat, whether it was a little bit of pork belly or some chicken. And my wife did does the cooking. Um, I work during the day; she takes care of the child. 
I come home to a cooked meal. She goes to work shortly after. So this is kind of how we've balanced our life. And uh, so she uh, took care of the protein portions and we just cooked lots of vegetables and added lots of fat to that. That's a pretty efficient way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said that this uh, this ketogenic approach um, reduced the inflammation mm-hmm. in your, your hip, was it? In the sciatic nerve? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it didn't eliminate it completely then? There was uh, long periods of time that, that it was eliminated. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And so you said you did this diet for a time, but then you stopped. Mm-hmm. And so did the, the inflammation pick up again? Yeah. Well, uh, I gave the ketogenic approach um, probably good three solid months. And then after that, it probably looked the same, but things were slipped in here and there that maybe uh, maybe kicked me out of that, that state or... Uh, wasn't quite in that framework, but, uh, but I kept, um, on the sliding scale of say the ketogenic dish to a paleo ish dish. And, uh, just kind of ran with it and just kind of monitored how I felt with what I was eating during the time. And that was when you're eating one meal a day. Eventually I went into one meal a day, which and was, is that, is that, is that like branded as the warrior diet or is that just something I got, you know, distracted by the bachelor diet? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Uh, there, there's all sorts of names for it. It was interesting because I, I adopted the one meal a day, pretty much just only five days a week. And uh, the weekends were, I still like to wake up on Saturday morning, cook some breakfast for my daughter and we have breakfast together, things like that. I might make some uh, gluten-free pancakes or something and, you know, fill up on, on my calories on the weekend and do the one meal a day, five days a week while I was working. And uh, that really worked for me because didn't have to waste any time in the morning, didn't have to waste any time at lunch, and I could just eat when I came home in the evening. It was great. <laughs> but that, too, had the same uh, results like the ketogenic diet where the inflammation of my sciatica or the uh, piriformis syndrome died way down, and it actually uh, helped tremendously eating that way. There was uh, some other issues I had, too. I had chronic flare-ups of uh, like sinus allergy symptoms, itchy, watery eyes, uh, uncontrollable sneezing. And the ketogenic diet kind of helped, but maybe it was a little bit early with me dealing with those symptoms. But when I went to the one meal a day, that actually eventually went away completely and I didn't have these hyperactive reactions anymore. It was really interesting. Hmm. Wow. Um, what are you laughing at? I'm, I'm sorry. Gonna... I'm compelled to ask you a question because I'm a doctor. Yeah. I just want to throw this out there. Uh, have you ever noticed if you drink red, red wine that your face turns kind of purple? I uh, never had trouble with red wine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just rule on something. Is That's he going to okay. live, doc? Yeah, well, there's this thing like a histamine intolerance mast cell activation disorder where the least amount of leftovers you, you eat. You are not drinking coffee again the, before the podcast. The ever. ever. amount <laughs> <laughs> of leftovers. I'm just saying, you know, if, if the thing that solved your allergies was a complete drop in histamines, that gives you like this completely different path to, to follow. Mm-hmm. So that's why I bring it up. And I think, you know, just because it's a part of the podcast, you know, our job is to help people become not only you know, listeners, but better detectives. So I, yeah. I think I'm just leading by example here. And well, shut up. <laughs> it, just to throw you uh, some information sake, there's, yeah, there's no leftovers in our home. Being uh, with my wife being Filipino, no refrigeration. She's not used to leftovers. If there's leftovers, you bring your neighbors over and they bring home food and dishes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's all kinds of amazing. I mean, you, you'd mentioned before um, earlier in the podcast that it, 
one point in your life, you were 40 pounds heavier. So uh, when you were doing this ketogenic diet and the one meal a day and that sort of thing, like, were you just changing your pants every week because your waist <laughs> size was getting smaller? Were you, were you wasting away? Well, uh, I, I didn't have to replace pants because I was just fitting into the ones I was uh, replacing buttons on. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, well, uh, yeah, it, well, at the time I was actually starting the ketogenic diet, I also started a new job. So it's, uh, it's kind of hard to uh, determine which was helping which, but I'm sure they both worked in synergy. Uh, I, I work as a utility meter reader. So I walk anywhere from 10 to 30 kilometers a day. It averages out about hundred kilometers a week. And I see about 5,000 homes a month. So it gives you an idea of how much uh, footwork I'm doing. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I quickly lost that, uh, uh, over the course of, um, maybe three to four months doing the ketogenic and doing all that walking. And in, in all of that with the, the diet, and uh, the walking, the new job, and that sort of stuff. Um, what was your disposition like? Like, were you uh, hangry? <laughs> Is the word I'm looking for? Like, I, I can imagine some people out there thinking, one meal a day? They're getting pissed off just listening to that. But you were actually living that and working and doing this, yeah. you know, physical job. Yeah, the, the one meal a day, there, I, I discovered some hangry issues. Yes, it does happen. <laughs> and it usually... Uh, my, my best guess is a lot of that had to do with what I ate the night before. Uh, some of that can be avoided by picking better food choices. And, uh, or uh, maybe I'm just uh, out of balance of not eating enough that day. But if I kept the calories up in the evening and things like that and got a good night's sleep, uh, the hangry didn't really come around. But uh, it, it is, it is a, a thing to... Uh, consider if you try that sort of approach uh, for sure. And and what about other sort of? Uh, I'm thinking about a friend of mine right now who's who's staying with me, who's uh, a hardcore, uh, gluten free, uh, uh, dairy free vegan. And um, you know, I brought home. I went cherry picking last week. I brought mm -hmm. home this huge thing of cherries, and he just sort of looks at that like they're evil. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, they're cherries. They're like about as local as you get. They came from like three blocks away. They're about as, they're more organic than I don't know the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and and you might want to bleep that out. <laughs> <laughs> they're more organic than you can think. And you know, like he was looking at them, like he was reacting to them, like they were the worst food choice in the world, like they were a bad food choice. And I don't know. Did you ever get confronted with that, or do you still get confronted with you know somebody bringing home some sweets or somebody offering you like I don't know French fries or something like? everyday life with everyday people eating everyday diets, how do you encounter them? Well, when I adopted the uh, one meal a day for uh, during my week times, uh, it was hard walking through these alleyways of full raspberry bushes <laughs> because uh, any other time before I would just brush my hands by and help myself to anything that was about to fall off. So, <laughs> so uh, trying to uh, not... Uh, take part in that was definitely a, a tough thing. But uh, um, yeah, coming home uh, after in the evening, say with the one meal a day approach, it, it didn't matter because I was pretty much eating whatever I wanted. But uh, 
I, I did f- eventually run into some troubles uh, thinking that way because I also, um, after kind of abandoning the ketogenic approach, I thought I could get away with uh, maybe an adopting some sourdough in the evenings. And uh, it became quite a heavy addiction, I found. <laughs> uh, after not having it for so long doing the uh, ketogenic approach, uh, it, it became my main um extra filler for calories in the evening Uh, talk about being hangry once i finished my meal i was often looking for something else to 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 fill the tummy with so uh um so much uh, even though i had a, a a great success with uh pretty much knocking down all of those uh allergy trigger symptoms and those rapid flare ups um i my uh So not having sinus issues with the allergies, I started drying out in my sinuses and I actually produced some eczema on my eyelids. So I, uh, I had to reconsider maybe going back to the ketogenic and not bringing in sourdough at all, even though I thought I could get away with that because a lot of people say it's, it's, a, it's kind of an exception to the gluten-free thing. <laughs> Michael's shaking his head no over there. <laughs> Dear listener, Michael doesn't believe the, it, the, the, the lie of sourdough. Yeah. I think you can get away with a little bit maybe for some people, but not, it didn't work for Michael's me. Michael's still shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> and he's biting his tongue. Wow, he must really not believe this. <laughs> do, do you want to say something to that, Michael? Apparently I'm talking too much, so I'm just going to... Hey. You want a coffee? It'll make you feel better. <laughs> so evil. <laughs> Well, this this brings me to uh, I guess to bring up the 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 little backstory of another reason that I was compelled to try the carnivore diet because now I have these scaly eyelids that I have to peel every morning before I go to work that were itchy uh, the sweat would run in my eyes and I would try not to rub them during the day um, uh, it was a uh, it was troublesome now I did have a patch of eczema for about 12 years and these were now new patches uh, arising so uh, I had a, a spot on my back that that um, came up and then these the eyelid patches and so this is what kind of led me back into I better go back to that ketogenic approach but then soon after deciding when I was going to do so a lot of this uh, carnivore stuff came up. So it seemed like uh, it just came at the right time to go, hmm, maybe I'll try something a little different for fun because there's a lot, there's, there's a new wave of people trying this approach and this would be a really interesting trial for me to go with. So, um, And it's three months, eh? Yeah, uh, often suggested three months, meat and water. We could do it, some people allow coffee, things like that. How, how and, much raw cooked does that uh, play in? Uh, yeah, raw cooked, that's a completely uh, personal choice for some people. Some people do eventually go down that way. I, I've read about a lot of people who prefer the raw version, so uh, I haven't gone there yet. <laughs> hmm. Wow. That's uh, pretty extreme. Is that, uh, I mean, I, I'm learning about the ketogenic diet and carnivorous diet just by listening to this podcast and being part of it. Uh, but do people actually think that there's any better 
health uh, to eating raw meat versus stuff that's cooked? Yep. Because? Um, if you can break it down completely, um, which would be harder if it was cooked, so it's not a like, oh my God, raw is harder. It's like, no, not uh, Well, in one way it's harder and in one way it's not, so that that's actually more accurate. Um, there's certain fatty acids that in any food past a certain temperature are basically plastic. Right. You know, are going to turn into a problem for your liver and gallbladder and it can't be used for anything. The nature of certain really, really subtle uh, aspects of the B vitamin uh, complex gets completely neutralized by cooking. Um, and so sorry, you're talking about just meat, right? Just meat. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, actually everything, but obviously if you're cooking meat. And, um, so a lot of people do that. And also, and I'm not trying to poke Scott in the, you know, belly button here, but, um, anyone I've ever worked with that is going in this direction. Um, and I think it's an interesting experiment for anyone who's really wanting to be honest and learn. Uh, the thing that I would want to do is hire someone like a, I don't know, Kato or something with like, a, I don't know, a tennis racket to sneak up behind you and smack you in the head every time you put something on a grill. <laughs> you mean a barbecue? It doesn't matter. Because <laughs> yeah, if you're going to go with, I'm a carnivore, then you're going to have to stop screwing around with actual history. Mm -hmm. Because as an indigenous person who grew up in a hunting lodge, who's taught primitive skills for probably 30 years. Not that that's my resume completely, but I'm just saying I have some experience, not just an opinion. There is no way to cook meat that way in the bush. And if you were raised in that culture, you would never cook it over a stick, over a fire on a stick anyway, because you would die of what's called rapid starvation. So a lot of the modern choices around raw is people come to realize that they just get sicker eating grilled meat every day. So they stop grilling it. It isn't that raw is inherently better. It's just the cooking method matters. Mm. So I bring this up very quickly. If you're listening to this and you find that pisses you off, good. You know, it's good to be pissed off because then you can be assertive about what you choose to do. If you go back even just a bit before homesteading and agriculture, everyone used clay pots when they had, you know, the wherewithal to actually use pots. They were usually stored in trees with certain stones we would use to grind um, nuts. So in the fall camps, there'd be clay pots for stewing and, and you know, nut grinding stones or mortar pestle things. Uh, for that kind of seasonal diet. So I'm just throwing it out there for if you're trying to decide raw cooked or if, you know, Michael's an ass because he wants me to sell my barbecue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, try and frame your cooking style around clay pots. You don't need to cook in clay unless you're more OCD than me around you know, what you're going to do with your food. But it's just about style because we get into some really unfortunate uh, negatives with some really potential positives because of just something as simple as the stubbornness of cooking style. So that's one of the more proportional reasons from a medical point of view is why raw may be better for people. Having said that, obviously with certain kinds of fish, especially, you know, if Scott was catching fish in, in the lake here and decided to eat it raw, you're way higher at risk for, you know, killing your liver with liver flukes than you would be if you actually cooked it. But cooking style matters. So I'll go back to the clay pots with your fish. Having said that, raw fish is for sale in every sushi restaurant. Mm. So as long as it's sushi grade and it's been frozen properly, there cannot be live flukes in it. So there's just all these um, things that are like, yeah, raw is awesome if you can digest it, which brings back the question that I want to bring up whenever it's time for me to go off, which I'm not in a hurry to do. Um, if you're not asking who you're putting all of this meat through, including the person considering doing that with themselves, you might find out badly that it wasn't a good idea to just run ahead because there's a lot of things that limit 
or change the way your body would handle an all meat diet. And if you're not addressing those first and maybe correcting them a little bit first, then, you know, well, there's bikers everywhere, you know, in the sense of just go and crash into the world. It's the same with the keto thing. A lot of people who try ketosis get into trouble because their liver and gallbladder uh, pathway is congested. So they have to spend two months fixing that pathway and then they can go full keto, no problem. So my, my thing again is the, you know, boring grandpa clinician in the room going like, everybody be careful. Mm -hmm. I, I just want people to be thorough in thinking it through. You know, I guess as a wilderness survival teacher, if you don't have a bug out bag, what the heck are you doing in the bush? Mm. Right. So if you don't, if you haven't thought of what you're going to run into, you're basically in the bush with, I don't know, pants. <laughs> <laughs> Just pants. <laughs> Episode 59, pants. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think my, my perspective and actually uh, talking to you today, Scott, has been more about the, um, I guess, the lifestyle or the sort of mindset, trying to get sort of a sense of um, your thinking around that. Because again, I'm still having my own little freak out at the idea of actually doing something as uh, uh, committed or as dedicated as, as you are uh, mm -hmm. to this whole uh, carnivore diet. Um, and, and on that, are there other people that you know? Is there other, is there some sort of a group or support uh, network that you have doing this sort of thing? Um, yeah, not to face, but uh, yeah, there are groups um, out there. There's um, there's a few Facebook uh, groups out there that, uh, that um, are, are very good. At participating in and helping people with questions and things like that. There's different styles and different tastes to them, and they, they have different restrictions and 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 staying on there. There's, um, but uh, it's a great place to read about. Uh, you can search all of the uh, previous questions and uh, comments and things like that. So um, that's what I found really interesting before even going into it. There was lots of information out there. And then uh, they also provide great resources of reading material. Uh, not that there's tons out there on that sort of diet, but uh, the reading materials I did come across was uh, very enlightening, interesting to read. Well, maybe we can put a few uh, links down in the, the show notes of the podcast. Um, it, it sounds like you're a bit of a, a vanguard then, I, I suppose, around this whole idea of uh, the ketogenic and carnivorous uh, fridge diet adventure that you're on. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not going to offer you any of my cherries. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to ruin it for you. Uh, Michael, you're, you're, you're sitting over there all nice and polite and quiet. Thank you. Um, you want to, you want to take a crack at the bat here? Uh, ask uh, Scott some questions. Um, how's your eczema? Yeah. So over the, uh, th that three month trial, um, yeah, the eczema did improve quite a bit. Now the, uh, the spots that were, that came up the soonest, um, or are the youngest, they cleaned up a lot uh, quicker. Though spots that were around longer are still taking longer to clear up, that's for sure. And you're cool if we get into doctor questions? Yeah, ask away. Go yeah, for it. Just making sure. Because, <laughs> you know, I think the most common question I, I hear on any panel or anything about, you know, doing the carnivore diet is, so how often do you actually take a crap? Oh, yeah. Um, Pretty much every day. <laughs> and I mean, it looks like it used to, yeah. or it looks more like a cougar or a wolf or uh, a bear? That uh, might be a little bit different. Uh, in the start, it was definitely different. Um, now it seems pretty normal. It's pretty consistent now, too. And, uh, and not, not to get gross because mm -hmm. of gross being cool, but what was different when it was weird? When it was weird? Uh, well, in the first week, uh, there was a bit of a delay. So there was a couple of days. And then uh, all of a sudden... Um, 
a lot came out. <laughs> I, I, I'm in my mind, I associated that to maybe just uh, dumping um, old bacteria, living creatures, things like that. And uh, yeah, good guess. Um, it, it did take on a shape that uh, <laughs> I was not familiar with. Uh, just really skinny and long, but then uh, shortly after, yeah, it looked pretty normal. But uh, yeah, pretty. Uh, right now, I'm pretty consistent. Uh, I might go a day or two without. Um, a lot of time that's because maybe I didn't eat my normal portion of, uh, meat for the day. So there's just not as much uh, bulk there. So, yeah, I wanted to make sure we touched on that because, uh, I mean, I'm hoping that some of the people listening to this actually decide to dig in, do a bit of research. And when I give some flags out to keep people safe, if they feel like they're ready to go, I think this would be an amazing experiment for almost anybody. Mm-hmm. But the first thing most people are going to freak out about is, oh my God, I can't poo or what, am I going to get sick or is the constipation going to create toxins that are going to eat my brain? And cause there's, there's, I mean, call it a new age crowd or something, but there is a lot of people who just focus in on ideas that may have been in reaction to, um, the way people really did the Homer Simpson thing like 30 years ago you know, which was by itself just the worst combination of ideas ever, you know, but that's a completely different story than I am now eating, you know, four different animals and that's it. (laughs) You know, that is a bit of a, you know, uh, it does take a mental toll. (laughs) That's for sure. Because there are changes in that area that uh, you have to think yourself through because yeah, if you do miss a day or two, it kind of gets your, uh, your hackles up and wondering, uh, should I really continue with this? But uh, if you can stick through that, things do become pretty regular and and they look the same all the time. Yeah, and, and I would say it's going to probably look a bit more like cougar poo than human poo. And it's probably mm-hmm. going to be three times a week unless you're eating more than, than you would need. Mm-hmm. And again, that's based on research. So uh, if you are getting into this after the first two or three weeks, you should be having on average three bowel movements a week and they're going to look a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and like you say, this is the first question people usually do ask or is they, or it's not a question at all. It's just a concern. <laughs> They're like, good luck with the constipation. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it hasn't really been that much of a problem, but more of a mental thing to work through. That's for sure. Hmm. Interesting. I, I'm thinking of, I mean, years ago when I, uh, with the first dog that I had, I fed him a, a raw food diet, the, the barf diet, bones and raw food. And, um, he had pretty regular turds and they were like these little when they dried out in the grass they didn't look like these giant moldy uh lumps of soggy bread they looked like these little chalky white poos mm-hmm. and uh, there was even a website I, th- I think more it was like a discussion forum that it was actually called chalky white poo <laughs> i just remember searching for that to get information about the that kind of diet so um i suppose that if you ate the same way as my dog you'd, you'd be pretty good well on that note i was just at a, a wedding party last night and we we're having a conversation around the table people were asking me about my diet things like that and uh, and uh, i said one of the greatest things about it actually and one it was the most appealing for me to try this was that uh, you literally don't fart anymore there are small little things i describe more like popping the little bubble wrap out of your packages but uh, that's about it and that's pretty nice and i turned to my wife and i said you must like that she shakes her head yes (laughs) wow small things eh (laughs) small things (laughs) hey kid come here pull my finger (laughs) but but then again you do (laughs) exactly Um, well i can make fart noises both ends but anyways i digress (laughs) 
Michael, you're going to have fun editing this one, aren't you? Oh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned that, you know, the, the, the whole sort of social thing. Um, what is the sort of reaction with people that you know, either through work or just other places in your life? Well, uh, for me, <laughs> I don't know anybody through work because uh, my position is one position for this whole area. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I don't get to have that conversation with too many people other than the people I, I know immediately and see all the time. But uh, yeah. And they're okay with it? They're, they they don't have any kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, diet 911, here's something you should be doing instead, mm -hmm. you're doing it wrong kind of idea? They definitely have their uh, their interests and questions and definitely concerns and uh but you know people always bring up oh, what about scurvy vitamin c uh, what about bone density and things like that and, and then the constipation question for sure and uh, those seems to be the, the most concern and uh um but usually i just kind of work it through and give them my take and experience so far and and uh, most people say yeah good good on you hmm. In in these uh, sort of uh, online forums, in these groups, and that sort of stuff, um, are you uh, pretty active with that? Then do you actually have a lot of sort of, uh, I guess, input to people's questions? Uh, definitely, in the beginning, I was very active, mostly reading, commenting, asking questions. Uh, it's a trend on a lot of these groups that you actually don't give your input or opinion until you've tried it for a while. A lot of people want you to try it for three months before you suggest any help to someone else which is a really good approach for these groups they they keep it very uh, straight and narrow and uh, avoid a lot of the, uh, the the pitfalls for uh, noise I guess mm. uh, if you want to say it that way so uh, yeah I, I've uh, I definitely could pipe up about my experiences and ask questions and or maybe uh, project maybe what I might experience in the future from some of these people who've been doing it for a while some have done it for more than 10 years and they have a lot of know-how and these the, the, the group one group particularly uh zeroing on in on carbs um they've been on the facebook group for for as long as facebook is, has had groups and they were an online forum before that and uh so there's there's quite a bit of experience with this kind of eating so uh, how long have you been actually doing this full carnivore diet then so I am probably four months in now. Right. Yeah. And you just said that there you uh, know of people online, anyways, but that have been doing it for like ten years. Ten years and more. Some uh, there's there's our testimonials testimonials of people twenty years even. Um, uh, another uh, very famous person, uh, Osley Stanley. He's the sound man for the Grateful Dead. He went fifty one years, and he wow. discovered this uh, originally because he was a ballet student. And he was looking to optimize um, his, his uh, uh, I guess, his routine, his diet, and, and uh, for performance. And uh, he, he discovered the carnivore approach and went 51 years. Michael, do you got anything to say about that? I mean, the, the, like the, the length of time somebody doing this sort of thing, is that... If, if you can make it work for more than six months, I think you could make it work pretty much forever in some ways there'd be i think you'd want to take some blood work every two years for the first 10 just to check on some macronutrients and some other markers and kidney function and a 
if there's a lot of cancer in your family or likely because of your workplace or, you know, what's what you've been through in your life, then that that's a bit of a, a concern. But in no way am I making a causal statement about carnivore diets and causing disease. There's just a lot of correlation between changes in obviously nutritional status and what may happen with, with those things. So um it's there's just a lot to it. But if you can make it work over the, the long term, your body has adapted to that process. And, you know, this is this is maybe a bit of a, a far reaching aside, but, you know, people always ask me, Michael, could you say more about Chinese medicine sometimes? And I like, oh, what, it just doesn't really ever come up exactly in the, the way that Chinese medicine really should. And in this moment, it kind of does. If you were to look at the actual equation of how Chinese medicine understands health, health care and what to do about it, uh, it's actually stated as fu zhong chu xie which basically means to assist or support what it is that improves your adaptability or resolve as an actual felt sense state of being. Because Chinese medicine comes from basically Taoism, which is the indigenous culture of Asia, which is about shamanism. So it's about how you feel. It's about state and, and all of that subtle kind of correlative associative stuff that drives scientists out of their minds because it's just not fair. It's wrong, although it works. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having a Chinese medicine moment here. So from that equation, you know, food chung again is, can you focus on your resourcefulness and adaptability and what increases it? And then if you look at the opposite, we say chu xie, which means, well, literally to chase out demons, but to try and, you know, create those pathways to get rid of waste and toxins and pathogens and infections and stuff like that. And I think that's the most obvious thing you could say about being healthy. But when you sit back and actually say, well, if that's the fundamental equation, you know, after thousands and thousands of years of people looking at this as a, you know, can we put it in a sentence? If you've adapted to the carnivore diet, that's your zheng qi. That's, that's the, your resourcefulness and it's a working. And if it's working in a way that solved pre previous problems, now you've effectively chu xie or resolved some kind of, you know, perturbation or problem. So if it works, it works because you've fundamentally applied the basic equation of life and health to the carnivore diet and to your situation and it's working. Now, obviously, as a clinician, I can think of a thousand, well, maybe not a thousand, but probably a hundred different things that I, if I was to do this for, for more than a few months, that I would keep an eye on just because I'm not your average bear. Because of your health concerns. Because I've had, you know, PTSD, chronic complex autoimmunity. I have sometimes things happen that I didn't know were going to happen because my lab tests look okay or other things are going on. And then, you know, I, I trip and stumble along. And I'm not saying that because I want people to pity me or whatever. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm like anybody else who has complex chronic inflammatory connective tissue problems. And it doesn't always follow the rules. And even though functional medicine's way ahead of the game on lab testing, we're still learning to do what we do because it's... It's all brand new. You can't say, well, where's the textbook on how to do this? We're writing it as we go, you know? So as a person with those kind of issues, you know, if I was to go on something as relatively biochemically extreme as a carnivore diet and kind of thinking about it just for the hell of it, <laughs> uh, I would be more concerned just because it's moving through a, a system that already has some xie or some perturbation or some damage. So I'll give you an example of this. that's like really jarring and it's going to be about vaccines. Right. Cause I think that that's, if there's anything that's polarized and freaking people out, it's, you know, are we killing children and are we giving people autism? 
The number one reason why people have an adverse effect to a vaccination, especially in infancy, is their immune system is in reaction to something, probably breast milk or perfume or carpets or mold or something. And the front line of their immune system is so potently aggressive and reactive to the world that when you put 17 different viruses into their bloodstream without even going through the, the frontline matrix of the immune system through mucous membranes and things like that, what do you think's going to happen? It's like a medieval castle when the ninjas show up in the king's bedroom. You know, it's not going to be, oh no, we should put up a barricade. It's like, okay, everyone kill every one of these things and maybe it's the king's fault and where's the trap door? So now you have a completely adverse, profoundly likely to cause damage situation um, in people because we're not testing the baby before we give them the bathwater. I guess that's a really weird thing to tie together. But, you know, again, if you're going to eject somebody with vaccinations, you might want to just, you know, knock on the door of their immune system and ask, ready? Good mood? Feeling resourceful? How's your Zheng Qi? Before we throw you 17 versions of Xie Qi. And so you're suggesting that that's something that someone should consider when if wanting gonna, to do this yeah, thing. If you're going to go keto, if you're going to go carnivore, if you're going to go vegan, if you're going to go raw, if you're going to do anything that is likely in the long term you know, or even relatively short term, uh, take some time and actually be humble and go, maybe I should look at, you know, the vehicle before I actually start, you know, grabbing the wheel and driving, driving it into roads it's never been through before. Looking at the gas cap to see if it says diesel or not. <laughs> and, and, and every other part of the vehicle, right? Yeah. So, and I'm not trying to be the boohoo guy. I'm, a, I'm pro, you know, creativity and, and individuality, autonomy, and, and experimenting with yourself, or I probably wouldn't be here. But... Uh, I'm also, you know, a scientist who sits back and goes, this could go badly if, checklist, right? And I think if, if we have time to do a very quick checklist on what I would, you know, put out there for the carnivore folks. Well, I'd that was going to be that. my next question. What's the checklist? So the easiest way to do anything with food is to follow it through your body. So when you're chewing up meat, the more you chew it up, the better, right? Not because it's going to digest in, in, in your mouth because the enzymes there aren't for protein. It's about surface area. Right. Honestly, I would say if you're going to do this, put some meat in some bone broth and blend it up with a, you know, stick blender and just drink it because <laughs> you're going to, you know, be in, in that much better of a place. If you can add a favorable acid to it, um, then you're going to digest it even better. And if you can add that acid while it's being cooked, you're going to digest it even better because that's like chewing it up before you start to chew it up. So one of those acids would be? Well, apple cider vinegar is popular, but it has a bit of a left hook around the whole potassium thing. And the, one of the bigger problems with the carnivore diet is you end up losing, you know, all those plants full of potassium and, and other macronutrients. Although, you know, animals who live on grass are, are made of grass. So they get lots of those good things in there. They just don't happen to provide us a lot of potassium, right? So you have to be careful with that. And it turns out we have, luckily, very recently, a new product that's around... Uh, it's like apple cider vinegar, but it's made from coconuts, right? So now it's, uh, they call it coconut something vinegar. Amino acids. Or, uh, yeah, or something like that. But if you look at it, it has almost, uh, I think it has about half your daily requirements for potassium per serving in that acid. So one of the biggest benefits of, say, apple cider vinegar and things like that is it helps you digest your food. I mean, there's all these fiddly theories that I'm actually going to get into in another podcast, which are really cool to look at. But uh, just in that way of, you know, pre-chew your meat before you chew it, maybe have the acid in, 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 in some way before you, you know, have that or a little sip of ginger tea or, or something that stimulates gastric secretion because you're now basically saying most of my digestion is dependent on stomach acid. 
there's a whole bunch of different reasons why that system can get sluggish, but right now, especially people with autoimmune conditions, uh, food allergies and things like that, and if you're prone to eating wheat, it's more likely you're going to have depressed thyroid, which is the fundamental spark plug of producing hydrochloric acid. And then there's pepsin and intrinsic factor and other things, which are really hard to you know put together. So, um, you know, you really do have to just sort of honor the stomach, you know. Uh, pancreatic enzymes, they're going to help a lot, but they're going to be determined uh, in terms of overall effectiveness by their ability to facilitate a really tricky exchange with your microbiome. So if you had a microbiome that's dependent on, you know, the standard American diet or uh, maybe smarter for, for a couple of months, you know, do the paleo diet first, um, you know, at least it's going to have a better chance. But if you haven't solved the microbiome problem, and if it is in a very specific kind of imbalance, you will not be able to digest certain kinds of protein, especially tryptophan, very well. And there's actually a really easy lab test. I think it's less than a hundred bucks to get, you know, checked out through a FM doc in pretty much anywhere, just to make sure that your microbiome is very efficient at digesting proteins. Because if it's not, you're going to end up with more and more fractured protein elements, more ammonias and epoxides coming through your system. That is unfortunately going to be a burden on your liver and kidneys, inflammatory status, neurological health, and I'm sorry to bring out the big badass C word, but cancer. Because especially if you're high in red meats, you're higher in methionine than, than other aminos. And I'm not saying cause effect, I'm saying correlation and uh, common sense. Right? And again, that brings back cooking method because it's actually what's damaging about methionine in, in the bigger scope of red meat overuse is the combination of the tangled proteins from cooking and the inefficiency of the stomach acid and the inability of good converse between microbiome and pancreatic proteolytic enzymes, leaving you with the kind of damaged proteins that require another thing to consume them to keep them from damaging you. And that's called the oncovirus. It's one of the only structures that can deal with those at the end state of cellular health. So again, maybe I'm overdoing this because I have coffee, but I have many pathways in my head once most of the time. But that that's sort of this big sequence that a lot of people don't really want to, you know, acknowledge because uh, it's too many things to think about at once. And, and that, that's where the geek out, you know, of, of podcasting in the world is why the podcasting is such a big thing in the world is most of us need to see the bigger picture. These yes, no kind of reactive new age things or old age things or, you know, whatever things, they don't, they don't nourish us at all. They just make us more pissed off. Mm. Um... So obviously, you know, there's lots of things you can do to improve that, uh, but then you would have to maybe cook your meats in something like papaya, um, which you wouldn't have to eat the or horrible evil papaya if you're totally not down with it, the modicums of actual, you know, fruit of flesh. Like, I mean, the Buddhists aren't allowed to eat the fruit of, you know, animals. So <laughs> just saying there's, you know, lots of reasons why people make decisions, but you could actually eat that meat and get more out of it and, and, uh, reduce the likelihood of a lot of red meat causing any potential towards any other kind of downstream problem because of how you prepared it, because you're trying to support and relieve all those pancreatic enzymes that have not spent most of your adult life or most of your, especially your childhood, which teaches your organs how to think in the world, uh, to digest that much animal protein every day. So it's going to be an adaptive thing. So, you know, there's a thing in, in medicine, we say titration, where you say, okay, you're going to have this much today, this much more tomorrow, this much more the next day until we get a certain you know, response. I would encourage people to do before you commit to like day one of being carnivores, I'm going to spend a couple of months on paleo 
gradually transitioning my proportions until, you know, I'm just eating purely mostly fibrous vegetables because you want the best microbiome before you quit vegetables. And, you know, hopefully the most anti-inflammatory balance of proteins, which would be mostly fish, so that you'd really get that, that head start and then that environment in your gut. And then you could go into the carnivore and I would say try and balance it, you know, one third fish, one third fowl with lots of skin and lots of gnawing on bones. Just eating pieces of meat is not a carnivorous thing to do. Any carnivore is spending most of its time gnawing on someone's joint once they're done with it. And no, I'm not talking about cannabis, just FYI. <laughs> you know, not allowed to eat the plants now, kitties. <laughs> and, and, you know, and on and on I could go. But it's, there's just a, a few things that I would ask anyone to be mindful of. And if you're going to do this, why be in a hurry and end up dealing with consequences when you could be, um, you know, going step by step. I was doing some writing last night and I'm probably running on, uh, on some steam here, but... Uh, I was just trying to write down a, an affirmational way of, of, especially for people I know who are entrepreneurs, who, you know, we all have the belief, and this is true of people who are investing in perhaps mildly extreme dietary choices, you know, an entrepreneurial theory, if you can build a ladder, you can build, you can climb anywhere. Right. If it's, if it's your, you know, click funnel or whatever people do with online stuff, you know, that's, that's what's being sold in an online entrepreneurial space spaces. I can teach you how to build a ladder that'll take you anywhere. And the thing I was writing down last night is that's an interesting place to start because if you live it, every rung is going to take blood, sweat and steer and tears to get through. Cause it's new. You've never done that new step in your life. And if you're actually building a ladder to get somewhere forever, what's the hurry focus on this rung. It's going to get you there in the long term instead of, you know, the, the belief that I can buy into a magic ladder and be somewhere else tomorrow. Because, I mean, maybe I have, I, maybe I'm crap at ladders, but I have to climb the, I have, in my life, I have to climb these things one rung at a time. And every time I build a new ladder, it's usually three life transitional moments when I go through it, you know. So my mind is just racing with this little phrase in my head. I'm sure you've heard it before. How, you, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> one bite at a time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Insert carnivorous joke reference yeah, here. Guys. <laughs> and I should probably break up my uh, conversation. <laughs> Coffee is a fun drug. Yeah. So you, you said it uh, uh, in, 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 that, in that rant of yours there. Um, <laughs> oh, so, something about... Uh, Kids learning, um, like their their physiology, I think, learning based on whatever food it is that they're actually eating. Did I catch that right? In Chinese medicine, the quote would translate to, uh, I'm trying to keep this in English, um, your solid and hollow internal organs form around the first 10 years of your life. And the more dramatic the change in the future, the more shorter your life will be. Okay. So... Um, that's not science. That's a book, 2000 years old. Okay. <laughs> uh, is that, uh, can you, could you apply that logic then to, uh, somebody like Scott, who's not a child and he's not in the first 10 years of his life and he's doing this sort of ketogenic, uh, carnivorous diet type thing are all the little small things I'm pointing at Scott, by the way, folks, <laughs> are all the little things that are floating around inside of his body being reconfigured and reorganized because he's eating only meat. He's not a newbie at this. A newbie at eating. Well, at, at trying to change his metabolism through relatively keto, paleo, once a day or now carnivorous diet. So he's had a couple of years easy. Right. So, And I'm not trying to like 
default that off of your question, because obviously the only people who really have to take the what ifs more seriously are the people who are starting from the beginning. And I would put that or, you know, that is is out there as a question for anyone. So what did you eat for the first 10 years? And what do you think that's done to uh, probabilities for erosive influences on your, you know, genetics and metabolism? And if you're attending to that, you're going to get you're going to get where you want to go because you went, you, tra- hey, I'm just going to use my other thing. You climbed that rung. <laughs> you took the first bite of the elephant. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Yeah, I've taken my first bite of the elephant, but over numerous years. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, and that, I think that was my, my curiosity. And my, my point there was that, you know, for, for uh, people listening, you know, they haven't really considered the vehicle they've been driving around in. They just all of a sudden saw this bright new car that says carnivorous diet. Oh, maybe I'll try that. Maybe I'll hop into this thing. You know, they've been driving a Ford and now they're going to be driving a Ferrari. There's going to be some consequences there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess I'm just sort of uh, curious if the, um, how, how graceful that sort of transition would be from the, from the body's perspective. What does the body actually catch up to the idea? And say, hey, you're just eating meat? No problem. I got this. I'm going to clean all these things up here that are kind of loose and uh, not fastened down and broken. It depends on food drunk juice here. And each of us, and I'm, I guess I'm trying to be a little pro-Chinese medicine in the moment. Um, that's actually where Scott and I met. So um, what is your junk chi right now based on how you sleep, how you eat? how you live inside your mind, how you communicate with other people, um, obviously how you poop and all the other things. Um, you know, what's your sensitivity to temperature like? You know, do you get thirsty or not? How much water do you actually drink that's not diuretic, you know, or full of sugar uh, or caffeine or other things, which is diuretic? Um, you know, appetite, you know, digestive function. You know, there's just lots and lots of details, you know. And if you're not paying attention to what Zhongqi looks like in the sense of a healthy person or the healthiest version of you, then that's, you want to attend to that and get better at assessing it and being intimate with it and and living it because that's your resourcefulness. That is your vehicle, your gas tank and your skills. Like that's what we mean by Zhong. So if you're really deep in that and you're aware of it and you're trying to repair something and you're aware of what that requires and you feel like, yeah, this is going to be aligned with safe and um, you know, really, really an intense personal journey, but worth the investment. And you would have to do it for three months for it to even be a valid metabolic test of, of capacity. So I, I just, I just, I talked to everybody about this, even if they're just your, your kind of midlife person who has no interest in any diet that's fattish or new, they just want to lose 20 pounds. It's just like, well, let's start with how you're doing before we start, you know, grabbing your metabolism and changing the underlying engine that gets you around every day, just because it's, it's smarter and it gives people more, I think, meaningful insight because they're, you know, okay, we pulled over, we popped the hood, we kicked the tires. Okay. I didn't realize I had a couple of other things to, to go with or, surprisingly more often, man, I'm doing way better than I thought. Hmm. And that's usually mostly about mindset, mm-hmm. right? Which is the thing that, that, that uh, I, I still want to try and pry out of you, which is how do you deal with the want moment by moment on the inside is you. Sorry, it's, can you say it again? <laughs> so so when, 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 again, you're sitting want. there looking at your food and other food, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm asking this for the, the guidance of the listener, how do you keep the choice point in the direction you want it to go? This carnivore approach has been more than just trying to um, maybe lose a few pounds, lean up, uh, clear up some eczema or things like that. Uh, um, I do have a history of uh, post-traumatic stress as well. So this has been a big part of my life. Um, 
grew up all my life with attention deficit disorder or something similar alike. And, uh, and so my, my main drive really for food choices in this sense is uh, really an overall wholesome betterment of myself and discipline. Um, not only was making this approach seem like a, an interesting trial, uh, it looked to me like it was a, a good way to develop some discipline as well. Um, like I mentioned before, when I was doing the uh, one meal a day and I got into sourdough, I started to learn how addictive those things could be, especially because I was relying on them as a, a, a calorie filler. And so um, when I thought about restricting my diet down to this extreme, I really saw it as a way of building some self-discipline and seeing myself from ground zero building back up again. Yeah. And to see where a lot of these temptations uh, would take me and see how uh, I might even work through it. So it was an experiment of my choices and my thought process as well. Thanks, brother. I love you. I just wanted to bring that out because that's why people are listening to the show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 again, the, the incredulousness of just restricting myself to meat, you know, what would I do with that? huge block of cheese that my parents made me bring home the last time I went to go visit them. <laughs> you know, I'd be throwing culture out, <laughs> out the window kind of thing and into the lake. <laughs> now, cheese was never uh, thrown out on this course of diet, but uh, I, I do recommend people maybe um, limit their cheese because <laughs> yeah. of the tendency to maybe slow down that uh, the bowel movement. Yeah, well, cheese is just another form of heroin as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, Michael's but. nodding his head. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but still, I mean, the, 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 to, to sort of hear you speak of your own uh, interest in uh, being a better version of you, you know, from the inside, you know, your guts as well as, you know, your, I'm pointing at, you know, my chest here, your heart, I suppose, is what I'm, I'm more referring to. That's, uh, that's admirable to, mm -hmm. to have that sort of fortitude to be able to do it. And uh, you seem to be getting, getting away with it. Mm. Yeah. I, 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 you don't think so? I'm, I, I have to just jump on that with a pair of boots hmm. how's that and, and I'm, I'm not jumping on you Anthony no I'm not taking I'm, it that I'm, way I'm super aware of, of the listener in a way I've never been yeah. before what he's doing is Chung Chi he's not getting away with it he's 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 his spine he's he, his see his spine he's like the center of his, his nervous system to do this and that's why I wanted to draw this out because I've known him for a long time and I know what he's going through because I go through it too you know so again for me the, one of the reasons I really wanted to bring the podcast to this this point is that this is the point you know we're also confused by all of the decisions all of the stimulation the scrolling on Facebook and Instagram and whatever else people do that just keeps us from actually asking where where is me in this Where's the center of me in this? And does it matter, you know, moment by moment to actually feel what I'm doing? Or do I have to always reference what I'm doing based on the externalization of everything? And where does such a crisis point of that as sentient beings right now that, I mean, even Elon Musk actually proved in logical conversation that we're cyborgs now, right? So when I meet anybody, and again, I'm having a lot of Chinese medicine moment today, who from the inside of themselves as a primate, slash human slash sentient being slash spiritual being in a body can decide for themselves to recover from gluten and exomorphin addictions at night, you know, or, or whatever to control how they feel, to control how they behave, to control how they, how they feel, but not with some, you know, sickening glove of dominion, but with this just sense of humility and, and intention. 
Because when you get there, and if you've been broken enough, you kind of have to break yourself. Because, you know, the control eventually just becomes the problem. That's what addiction is, and that's what, you know, that's half of a life. But when you finally just get humble enough to say, and what was it, where you, you Scott, start from scratch or reset to the baseline or start from zero? or Yeah, ground zero. Ground zero. You should write a book, man, ground zero. I bought <laughs> yesterday. You know, because this is what people are trying to do is get back to who the hell am I in this insanely confusing world? And how can I make any meaningful decision when it's all, you know, it's like a roulette wheel. Who knows if it's even worth bothering, you know? And now that we have such a short-term dependency on self-affirmation and, and the external world with, you know, our phones and stuff, we don't self-reference from the inside out. We self-reference from the outside in, and, and that's pathological. So when I meet someone who's actually standing up from the inside out, making decisions because of their shamanic state moment by moment as self-discernment, I just cry. Hmm. kind of am a little bit. <laughs> well, it's... The carnivore diet is, is more than me thinking maybe this is a great way of eating or uh, this is going to fix all of my problems. But uh, I do explain it to people that this has been a vehicle for me to get off of grains, get off of the gluten, and uh, develop some sort of walk for myself that has some stability. And uh, that's been the big real quencher for me to stick with this. It's, it seems like you've taken ownership of yourself in a way that uh, you just haven't had before. Yeah, it's, um, it, I, I guess in the sense of the simplicity of eating this way. Uh, food prep is next to nothing. Uh, I'm not making decisions on what I'm going to eat because really uh, the majority of it is ground beef patties. And uh, for me, this has been very therapeutic for my post-traumatic stress actually i'm not overthinking things too much I'm not thinking about all the supplements i have to take or what i can't take because i i don't have and uh maybe just like i said earlier go back to ground zero and uh watch my system as i make um as the as i go along with this trial and uh and i've learned a lot about myself just in the short four months that i've been doing this hmm very cool. Um, do you have more questions or ideas that you want to investigate, Michael? Uh, yeah, I'm just grateful for that we chose to try the experiment of uh, you know, having a guest on the show because it's given me a very different sense of what we're actually doing here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, any more that you wanted to uh, offer our listeners about the, what you're up to, Scott? <laughs> Can I ask you something more pointed about PTSD then? Yeah, sure. You can go for it. Yeah. Um, so instead of, instead of trying to... Uh, uh, to wrap things up, maybe I'll uh, sort of scratch the surface a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you had mentioned PTSD for yourself. Um, I don't know how much detail you want to get into with what life was like before and after. Is there a distinction in your mind as to how um, things were for you before you started monkeying around with your diet <laughs> um, compared to now? Yeah, well, uh, monkeying around with my diet has, has been uh, pretty much the... Uh, the landmark start of me doing something about uh, my post-traumatic stress. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting journey to go through different food choices and the temptations of uh, eat this or don't eat this. And uh, uh, 
sorry, <laughs> just lost it. But uh, uh, what's changed the most for you? Yeah. Like just in the sense of you know, Scott version A, Scott version two point I guess now over the time of my experience of uh, trying different uh, modalities and eating and health choices and things like that, um, I do feel very much I'm a different person. And uh, I feel like uh, I do now have a spine that I can stand up straight to and uh, uh, have some pride in my very own name. And uh, But, uh, you know, just the experiences with, say, even starting out with ketogenic diet, having mental clarity for the first time. And no, I have a sense of control over that with my dietary choices. Before that, having a really foggy mind and not being able to focus on anything and being really caught up and stressed out about maybe not even being able to absorb information and put it out there or keep myself straight or even know how to tie my shoes in the morning. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big difference. Um, uh, that mental clarity, uh, snowballing day by day and building some sort of strength and some stability around myself through dietary choices has made all the difference in who I am. Uh, I had a hard time sleeping in the past, uh, over, a, over a decade of maybe four hours a night of sleep chronically. Um, uh, and a lot of that, some, some period of that time has been waking up at night with like heart palpitations in sweat and my mind just racing in circles. And, uh, a lot of that has, has gone out the window and, uh, I can go to bed now confidently that uh, I, I won't have this sort of episode laying awake at night, things like that. And uh, a lot of that um, maybe has to do with food choices and building up some sort of strength in my material self, or maybe it's uh, building up some sort of strength mentally walking through these uh, food choices and sticking to something and uh, believing in myself. And uh, that itself has made a lot of difference. Was that the answer you were looking for? Yes, sir. <laughs> love, love you, Scott. Thank you so much. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything else that uh, we need to okay. unpack here. <laughs> no, okay. Um, it's just awesome to have you here sort of uh, unraveling uh, what this has been like for you. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a new idea for, I think, a lot of our listeners for the world, I would say, around the whole idea of having a carnivorous diet and to have you as the, uh, who was the first astronaut? Uh, Neil Armstrong? I don't know. <laughs> There's a dog and the chimpanzee. And <laughs> there you go, as Sputnik. <laughs> <laughs> to have you as being like, you know, that, like I said before, the vanguard out there uh, for us to, to talk to has been uh, all kinds of convenient because I picked you up before we came to the podcast today and awesome <laughs> because you're actually here talking to us. So yeah. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming in today. I appreciate yeah, thanks, it. Brother. Yeah, thanks, brother. That, that was a, a really great conversation. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this has been the Fusion Health Radio podcast, episode 58, The Carnivorous Diet, uh, featuring myself, Anthony Santa, Michael Smith, and Scott Dempsey. Tune in next time, next time folks. Uh, Fusion Health Radio comes to you every weekend or so. We sit down and we record. And uh, if you like what you heard, please do share it with your friends. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Fusion Health Radio. You can look for us there. You can send us an email, fusionhealthradio at gmail.com. And coming soon, fusionhealthradio.com. That's in the works. It's got a layer of dust on it right now, but uh, maybe we'll feed it some meat and it'll become big and strong pretty soon. <laughs> uh, thanks, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week, Michael. 
And awesome. uh, take care, Scott. Thank you. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.